leave it to the Lord and his wisdom to provide us with a songbook that while we give him praise, he's instructing us simultaneously. It's an amazing thing. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Micah. We're going to have two readings today. Of course, we're going through the book of Romans, and we're looking at chapter 12 today. Uh, But we're going to start with this first reading, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. If you're using one of the Bibles that you find in the chair in front of you, you'll uh, find that uh, the passage begins on page 779. So again, we're going to read Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And you'll find that this passage emphasizes the essence, the essence of true worship and righteous living. And it aligns well with the themes of commitment and devotion found in Romans 12, our sermon text. Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. This is God's holy and inspired word. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And here ends our first reading. I would ask that you would turn to Romans chapter 12. Again, if you're using the Bible in front of you in the chair, you'll find Romans chapter 12 on page 947. Our sermon text is two verses, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2. Here again, God's holy word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect." And here ends our second reading. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. Lord, we ask that you would help us. Again, Lord, um, it is one thing to listen. It is another to hear. And Lord, we don't want to hear from men. We want to hear from you. This is why we've come to worship you and to hear from you. Lord, you know us and you know us well. You know us better than we know ourselves. Oh Lord, would you have mercy on us? Would you condescend to come to us and to speak into our ears and to tell us what we need to hear? Lord, each one, we're in different places. Speak to us. We'd ask you to hear our prayer. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever had 
the pleasure of visiting the Statue of Liberty. About 20 years ago, I had the pleasure of visiting the Statue of Liberty. You um, go out on a boat and you're on this little island and it's, it's absolutely beautiful and you can look across and see uh, Ellis Island there as well. And you start to imagine what it must have been like um, over a hundred years ago to be an immigrant that's coming across the ocean on a boat and coming into the harbor there and catching uh, the Statue of Liberty in your eyes and then landing at Ellis Island. Could you imagine? It's a symbol of freedom, a new life. The Statue of Liberty was given to us by the people of France. They wanted to honor the alliance between the two countries during the American Revolution. The French people presented the statue out of appreciation of America as a champion of liberty and freedom. Well, in our our text, Paul wants believers to present something out of appreciation. Verse 1 tells us, it tells believers to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. In light of God's mercy, believers are called to live a life of surrender. You're called to wholeheartedly dedicate your body and your mind and your will to God. What does surrender entail? Paul, Paul mentions presenting our bodies, but, but not in just a physical act, uh, holistically. It's a holistic dedication. It's about offering every aspect of our being as a living sacrifice to God. As we move forward, we're going to consider this text under four headings. Paul moved and inspired by the Spirit of God, begins by making an appeal to believers to respond to the mercies of God. That's our first heading, respond to the mercies of God. We're motivated by different things, aren't we? A little over a week ago, we celebrated Thanksgiving. Well, I have this large maple tree in my front yard. And throughout November, it has been dumping leaves without mercy. No mercy. Um, Every Monday, I'm out there, I'm raking up leaves and filling up bags and bags and bags of leaves. And I had done that on Monday. And I look out my door on Thanksgiving Day It is a sea of leaves back again on my yard. An ocean. And I didn't want to rake the leaves. But I was motivated. I didn't want my guests to arrive to that mess. I found motivation to get outside and to start raking. Well, Paul wants you to be motivated to action. So he makes an appeal to you. He urges you. He pleads with you. In verse 1, he writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God, present your bodies to him. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, that therefore causes us to look back on what has previously been written. We're exhorted to live in view of the mercies he's written about. We're to build our lives on the mercies of God and to be motivated by God's grace. Paul has discussed how all have sinned and fallen short of God's standards and how believers are justified freely by his grace through faith in Jesus. Through Christ's death, you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been reconciled to God. God is, or Paul has explained through Paul that you're free from sin's dominion and that you've received the gift of eternal life in Christ. And he's told you about the assurance of God's love and the impossibility of anything separating you, separating believers from his love. In light of these profound mercies, Paul calls upon you to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. I remember the day I became a Christian I was so, I was so aware of my sin. I was so aware of my need for forgiveness. I had violated every single one of the Ten Commandments in one way or another. And I had nothing to give. There was nothing left that I could offer God or make a deal or make some kind of trade. I had to come to him and simply rely on his mercy. And I remembered what he said. Jesus said, if I believed in him, if I trusted in him, I would be forgiven. I'd receive eternal life. So I got down on my knees. I still remember the room. It was room 33. I remember I was facing north. I hadn't talked to God in so long. I said, Lord, help me. Forgive me, please. Forgive me. He did. He forgave me. He had mercy. He showed compassion. That day I gave my life to him. How about you? Can you recall a specific moment when you realized the depth of God's mercy in offering salvation to you through Christ? Are there times when you felt the weight of guilt and shame and yet you experienced God's mercy as you believed the gospel, as you continued to believe the gospel? Consider instances where God's mercy provided for your needs in unexpected ways. Reflect on instances when God's mercy brought healing and restoration to broken areas of your life. Take some time 
Take some time for personal reflection. Perhaps you can journal your thoughts. Or maybe you can discuss them with others. This can help you to recognize and to appreciate the ways God has poured out his mercies on you. You see, this can deepen your sense of gratitude. God's word says that our response to his mercy is not meant to be passive. This is a call to active engagement and gratitude. This is far from being mere intellectual, mere intellectual acknowledgement. Believer, this text is calling you to a wholehearted and practical response to the grace and mercy that you've received from God. How? How should you respond? This text is advocating for an ongoing commitment. An ongoing commitment. It's advocating for a conscious and deliberate, a deliberate offering of yourself to God, motivated, motivated out of a response to his mercy and to his grace. It's motivated out of a response to what you've already received. Motivated by the gratitude we feel for his mercies, Paul turns our attention to what it means to actively engage with God. Rendering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Render your body to God. That's our second heading. Render your body to God. Over the years, America has found itself in many conflicts. And there have been times in our history marked by remarkable willingness of citizens to step forward in service, sometimes in droves. It's a testament to the extraordinary commitment and sense of duty that some citizens have felt. At times, a desire to give themselves to service has been so great that people began to lie about their age. Men as young as 16 claimed to be 18 so that they would be eligible for military service. This speaks volumes about the unwavering spirit of, of sacrifice and of commitment and dedication that has characterized the American people throughout history. During these challenging times, the call to serve echoed through communities, inspiring men and women to volunteer. Our text, our text is a call to service. It's a call to serve the Lord Jesus. Will you answer? Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul speaks of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. He's using metaphorical language to convey the idea of complete and ongoing dedication to God. This metaphor draws on imagery of 
Old Testament sacrifices, which were typically animals that were offered on an altar. However, unlike those sacrifices that were consumed by fire, Paul emphasizes that believers are to offer themselves as living sacrifices. Imagine a child. Imagine a child playing with their favorite toy. The child loves the toy so much that they decide they're going to give it to their mother or father as a gift. And this act of giving the child is metaphorically offering something valuable, something of themselves to express their love and devotion. Now extend this metaphor to your relationship with God. As living sacrifices, you continually present your life to God, not as a lifeless offering, but as an ongoing expression of love, of service, of dedication to him. Just as the child offered their prized possession, willingly and joyfully believers are called to offer their lives to God with a willing and joyful hearts seeking to live in ways that please and honor him in every aspect of life. This is done out of love, out of affection, out of appreciation. You'll notice that the sacrifices are not only described as living, but they're also described as holy and acceptable to God. Christians are called to be holy in that they renounce sin and that they're set apart to God. By offering our bodies as living sacrifices, we are called to live in a way that aligns with God's standards, demonstrating a godly way to live apart from the patterns of this world. This is offering an acceptable sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that's deemed pleasing and acceptable because it reflects a heart willing, willing to be yielded to God, conforming to his divine purpose. It's not about trying to be good enough for God to like you. God already loves you. He said it plainly. He already loves you. Instead, it's about really, truly feeling grateful for the good things that God's done for you. When we feel this way, we naturally want to live in a way that is pleasing. This is what it means to live a life of worship in everyday life. Do you want to worship God then live a holy life to his glory. Giving yourself completely to serve God is an act of worship. It's like like a big thank you present to him. It's the best way to say thank you for all the good things that he's done for you. And God has blessed you with a gift as well. The Bible, his word, our thoughts and actions, they're connected. And Paul suggests renewing our minds with God's word in response to his mercies. 
So our third heading is about renewing our minds to God. Renew your mind to God. Renew your mind to God. That's our third heading. My mother's from Oklahoma, but she moved to California when she was very young. But I'll tell you what, an amazing thing happens when she gets around friends and family from Oklahoma. After a little while, all of a sudden my mother, who of course I've known my whole life, starts speaking with a southern accent. I'm thinking, who is this? Who is this lady? she, she all of a sudden has, has this accent. And as her son, you know, that, that's what I'm thinking. This is strange. She finds herself adopting their accent, conforming to their pattern of speech. It's a funny thing that happens to us, isn't it? I was in Dublin and met a guy from France who had been living in Ireland for some time. And he had an Irish accent. I was so confused. You're French, and you have an Irish accent. He had lived there so long. Again, he had adopted their accent. We, we tend to pick up the accents of people we're surrounded by, don't we? We conform to their pattern of speech. The same thing can be true about our thinking. And that can result in devastating consequences if you picked up, pick up the wrong kind of thinking. If we're not careful, if we're not cautious, if we're not intentional and focused, we can pick up and adopt thinking that is contrary to the Bible, God's word, the truth. In verse two, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's two commandments here in verse 2. Do not be conformed, be transformed. Paul instructs us not to be conformed to this world. He's urging us to resist adopting the attitudes and the values and the behaviors of our culture that operates apart from God. This command is a call to intentional nonconformity to the sinful patterns and ideologies of our fallen world. In practical terms, avoid assimilating into a lifestyle that is contrary to God's word. To apply this command, we must engage in a continual process of self-examination and discernment. We need to be able to evaluate cultural messages and societal norms against the truth of God's word. We need to be committed to God's standards even when they stand in contrast to societal expectations. This involves making choices about entertainment, about relationships, 
about ethical practices that align with biblical principles rather than cultural trends. This is a call to be countercultural, resisting worldly influences and striving for a lifestyle that honors God. But to do this, we need to have a mind that is renewed by God's truth, capable of discerning and rejecting the conforming pressures of this world. Believers are also called to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. This is an ongoing process of aligning your thoughts and your perspectives with God's revealed truth. This renewal comes through the study and application of scripture through prayer and a deepening of your relationship with God. The goal is to increasingly think and perceive in a manner that's consistent with God's word. You need to engage with God's word, allowing it to shape your worldview and your priorities and responses to the world. Believers are to cultivate a mindset that mirrors and values the attitude of Jesus. We need to be like him, to follow him, This means embracing qualities such as love, humility, compassion, and selflessness. The transformed mind seeks to understand and apply God's word in every aspect of life, reflecting a Christ-like perspective in relationships, decision-making, and responses to the challenges of the world. In essence, the goal is to have a mindset like Jesus. A transformation that goes beyond mere behavior to encompass the very thought patterns and motivations of the heart. This renewal of your thoughts and motivations will result in the tangible expression of surrender the act of relinquishing your will to God. Relinquish your will to God. That's our fourth heading. Relinquish your will to God. Several of you attended the Fall Fest this year. It was fun, right? There was food, there was bonfire, um, there was uh, hay rides. There was even square dancing in the barn. And my wife said to me, do you want to go and square dance? I said, no, I don't want to go and square dance. So we went and we sat around the outside of the place where people were dancing. Pro tip, if you don't want to square dance, don't hang around the outside of the dance floor because they will inevitably need two more people. <laughs> Guess who ended up dancing? Me. I surrendered. 
I relinquished my will I gave in. I put myself and square dancing to the test. And it turns out I like it. (laughs) It was fun. She was right. I'm not saying I'm taking lessons, but I'm thinking about it. (laughs) It was fun. Well, as our text continues, Paul says that we need to test ourselves. We need to relinquish our wills to God. We need to test our thoughts and our attitudes and our actions in the light of God's word. The final phrase in verse two says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When Paul speaks of testing, he's referring to the process of evaluating or proving yourself in the light of God's word. Testing yourself involves a continual self-examination and comparison of your thoughts and your attitudes and and your actions against the principles and teachings of God's word. The goal is to conform yourself to the standards and will of God, allowing the power of his word to shape your life. We need to be careful, don't we? It's not only the influence of the world that we need to be concerned about. The Bible says that the human heart can be deceptive. It warns against relying solely on our own understanding or feelings. We have a tendency to tell ourselves what we want to hear, especially when it comes to justifying our desires, when it comes to justifying our actions or beliefs. What can we do? How should we address this? The testing process Paul is talking about here involves a spiritual discernment that goes beyond surface level judgments. It empowers believers to distinguish between what aligns with God's good, acceptable, and perfect will and what does not. In practical terms, the testing process involves seeking God's guidance through prayer consulting scripture for wisdom and relying on the Holy Spirit's prompting and empowerment. You can start by humbly acknowledging your biases. Regularly engage with scripture, praying for discernment and wisdom and that you would be true to it and to yourself and to God. Surround yourself with a community of believers for accountability and for varied perspectives. Reflect on your motives honestly and be open to correction. You need to cultivate a heart that willingly submits to God's will, recognizing that his plans are ultimately for your good. Read God's word. Read it regularly. 
Meditate on it. Store it in your heart. Be transformed by it. Educate yourself on theological principles and seek guidance from pastors and elders and mentors. By intentionally applying these practices, you create a foundation for discernment rooted in God's truth rather than personal desires. And by subjecting yourself to this process, you'll begin to align your life more and more with the truth of Scripture. You'll be able to discern the will of God and know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Relinquish your will to Him. Surrender. Follow the Lord Jesus. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. In our text, we stand at an intersection between God's mercy and our response. Believers are called to present themselves as a living sacrifice, not just a lifeless offering, but ongoing expressions of love and gratitude and devotion to God. This text teaches that responding to God's mercy isn't passive. It's an active engagement motivated by grace. Rendering your bodies as living sacrifice is your spiritual worship, an offering that is holy and acceptable to God. Believers are called to serve the Lord with a willing and joyful heart, living a life that pleases and honors Him. Renewing your minds to God is crucial in a world that is constantly influencing our thinking. We're called to intentional nonconformity, resisting worldly patterns, and embracing a countercultural lifestyle rooted in God's truth. This renewal involves aligning your thoughts with Scripture, cultivating a mind that mirrors Jesus, reflecting his love and his humility and compassion. As we embrace a mindset like Jesus, our transformed thoughts and motivations lead us to a tangible expression of surrender, relinquishing our will to God. I implore you, I implore you, respond to God with wholehearted devotion. As you surrender, may your life be a symphony of worship, a living testimony to the transformative power of God's mercy. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, the funny thing about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice is we don't want to die. Lord, we don't want to die to ourselves and it doesn't feel good. And yet, Lord, we want to honor you and we know what you've called us to do. Lord, we do pray. We have seen, we have tasted and seen that you are good. Lord, we have every reason to trust you. Following you and keeping your precepts is a delight. It does bring happiness. 
but it just seems hard sometimes. Lord, help us. Help us to be committed to you. Lord, we'd ask that you would come reminding us of you day by day. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord. Open up our minds, renew us, transform us, overwrite the hard drives of our minds, Lord. Make it so that we understand your word and that we know how to apply it, that we can live lives that glorify you, that our lives would be worship to you. Oh Lord, receive us as living sacrifices unto your glory. We'd ask these things in Christ's name, amen.